everybody. Howdy. I'm Alan. I'm Brent. And we're here for another episode of AB Testing. I think we're at 68. 68. Welcome to episode 68. We are way ahead of schedule. No, we, we're not. We predicted Indie Year episode would be, I think, 70. Yeah, we're not doing it anymore. No. This is the last one. I'm divorcing you. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, three people on the internet are going, no, no. <laughs> are they? Are they? No, are they going, eh, okay. <laughs> potentially. Yeah. Potentially. Okay, so how you been? What's what's new? Anything new and exciting in the uh, Jensen household? Oh, it's been a rough week this last week, uh, working lots of hours. And then to top it all off, at around 3 o'clock in the morning, woke up with a m- massive leg cramp. I'm tired. I'm in pain. Okay, so Brent. This should be an amusing episode. Uh, bad mood. And uh, we have some things to get through. And uh, because Brent's slow, we're starting a little late. Because I th- Did you sleep in your office? Did I wake you up when I got here? No, no. I had my text. Uh, I was, I was uh, having a one-on-one with an employee. You are, you are an even earlier riser than me. So you may recall... Those of you that listened to episode 67, we talked about, oh, wait, what's new with me? Nothing. Go ahead. Oh. So, b- b- back on the show. We uh, did a little role playing, not that kind of role playing, but uh, Brent took on his former persona of a traditional test manager. Yep. And we had a discussion with Alan, modern test manager, and we stated our points. We dug on each other a little bit and generated some discussion, at least among the three on the one of the three Slack channel and on Twitter as well. Yeah, there was a lot of, I mean, a lot more than usual activity on on Twitter when we post a new episode. You know, it's not uncommon to have uh, several people um, retweet the announcement. No, it's all good. I absolutely love the feedback. For me, the the Slack channel has become just a fantastic resource for the production of the episodes. Yeah, it, it definitely is a way for us to make sure, it's a way to connect with our, our fans. No, it's a way for uh, Brent and I to figure out what people like and what people don't like. And one thing where we, we were confusing, where we yeah. were extra confusing. And where we just <laughs> plain sounded stupid. A couple things I learned, and I mentioned this on the last episode and worth bringing up again is... One revelation I had at the end of uh, maybe in the middle of our recording, and I've thought about a lot since then, and I don't have an answer yet, but I'll bring it up, is coming up with a better elevator pitch on just what the heck I do and, and, and the value of a modern test manager and, how, and, and expressing the value of what I do to connect testers and set vision and strategy and build my community of quality and testing experts who accelerate the achievement of shippable quality. It's visible to those I work with, I think. If not, I definitely, I'll work harder on it. But in explaining it to someone off the street, it's uh, a little bit more difficult when so much of the value I bring, maybe not as much as I think of, but I think a lot of value I bring is intangible, sort of that player on the team who tries to make people around him better. But I bet there are some tangible things too. I'm just not, this don't come consciously to mind. Uh, it, even within the, the definition that we talk about, if, if our job is to accelerate the achievement of shippable quality, 
right? How do you measure acceleration? Speedometer. Is there a t- <laughs> so has Unity developed a test no, no, speedometer? No, no, that's, <laughs> that's the interesting thing though. So what do you, what are, and this is rhetorical because I don't know the answers, but what are some things that you can measure to tell if you're accelerating? And I, I actually, I think this is going back to Doug Hubbard, how to measure anything. I think it's a measurable thing, oh. but it's, uh, it would take some time and experiments to figure out which things are the right things and which things could are more or less likely to be gamed but it's you can maybe even even before you have the tangible measurements on that you certainly can feel that it's apparent that we're accelerating the ship the the shipment of achievable quality <laughs> which is a whole new thing yeah <laughs> uh, accelerating uh Quality, you can tell when that's happening on the team. You 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 see things happening, but it, it'll take me all to come up with to There's, come up with and to figure out if I need to measure specific things for that. Uh, well, first off, I think you do. You as as the director of the the QA organization, you are uh, somewhat accountable for the business of QA. And here I literally mean the business side of it, the ROI. Yeah. Right? We, we've, we've talked about this before. Shots! QA is, in most organizations, perceived as a cost. Yes. Right? Yes. And, 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 and definitely more on that later in the episode. Yeah. A deep dive. I'm thinking through things like, like if we're an accelerant and our, our goal is to accelerate quality – then in today's world, I think about Lytle's law. Yeah. I, don't, I don't think I know Lytle's law. Is Lytle, how is that spelled? L-I-D-L-E? I think it may be Little's law. Little's I think law? it's spelled exactly the same as, as um, Little. All right, but it's fancy. Um, okay. <clears throat> it's, it's one of the ways you measure the productivity of a, of a Kanban team. Okay. And you... A mature Kanban team over time, their work ends up being roughly same sized. Uh, it, it's just a phenomenon that ends up happening. And as you tighten and tighten, your work gets smaller and smaller. And then all you're doing is you're measuring the rate at which you start new items. Ah, oh, interesting. Kanban. Right, uh, if this is only in a, in a pure Kanban system where you have whip on, uh, I don't want to get today's not an agile episode. I think <laughs> well, he, we he, don't he know. says thinking, <laughs> thinking we know what our episodes are about. Right, I, um, I've learned what they're about as I'm editing and getting ready to post. Gotcha. So there, in a, in a Kanban board, you have this thing called whip, which stands for work in progress, and it's a limit on how many items are allowed to be in that column at any given time. It sort of forces you to not, forces your team to not multitask. Lido's law is essentially how they figure out, when you, when you go to a restaurant and they have a wait time, have you ever wondered how they figured out how long the wait is? There's so much complexity. You got shifts, you got, you got chefs, you may have two, you may have three, they have a but a, after a while, they learn that. They know. No, it's actually really easy. All you have to measure is the time delta between when you sit people down. 
So, so that yeah, that doesn't make any sense. So Kanban, when you have so a, no no go back go back to the restaurant. So okay, what I, I I think you maybe missed a word in there. When so let's say I I get to the restaurant and they tell me it's a twenty minute wait for a table. When do they have? When do they have wait times? When there are too many customers for the tables to have available. Correct. So that everyone inside the restaurant, the restaurant's at the, If, if, if they have tables. 10 tables, their, their whip is 10. Right. Perfect. So what they do, when they seat a, a person, that means capacity is opened up. Right? When they seat a person... When they seat a family or a, okay. a bunch of visitors, they're seating them because a capacity is opened up. What they do is they measure the time delta between when they last sat somebody. Oh, so if it took them, if the person in front of me took 20 minutes to get their table, then I'm going to take 20 minutes? Roughly, yeah. Okay, that... And then as they... As they when, I guess that works on, on average, but let's say I have 10 tables and I had five people come in all at five o'clock because they wanted to have dinner early mm-hmm. and they all got there together. And then uh, I had people trickle in over the, next, uh, over the next hour and they all take varying times to finish. If those, say those five people that got there early all finish at the same time, then there's a brief period where the wait time is, very, is accelerated. So the, the whip opened wide up. Over time, it spaces out, but there are moments of burst. Okay, you can. I, I, I rec. Hold on. I, 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 rec- I, I recommend. I, I'm just pointing out that uh, although I agree that it, over time and on average that will work, it's uh, it's a fallible heuristic. I would call it a heuristic rather than a law because it is fallible. Um. So no. Um. Uh, <laughs> I will leave it. Uh, again, I'm I'm too tired to go into the math. Uh, I will just say it is an estimator um, for those who understand the Poisson distribution. The value that you're going to select based off of the history is what's known as the expected value, but it follows the distribution. So it's always going to be, if you wanted the waitress to be precise, you would ask her for what's known as the expected value Plus the confidence interval. And then she's going to spit in my food. Probably. <laughs> she's going to look at you go, what's a confidence <laughs> yeah. interval, sir? The No, actually, the good the restaurant, restaurants I go, they, they fire back and say, it'll be 17 minutes and 30 seconds with an 80% confidence rate. Uh, and then I kiss her on the lips and I, when my <laughs> wife punches me. <laughs> Trying to wind this back to whatever the hell we were talking <laughs> we, about before. Um <laughs> Silly man. So, uh, like uh, a, a simple way to apply a measure here would be to measure, apply Lytle's uh, law. Um, the main parameter for a Poisson distribution is known as lambda. And what you're trying to observe is are, are the things that you're doing, number one, positively changing lambda, mean, which would be a measurement of acceleration. Alan's smiling at no, me. I'm like, thinking I'm in my like, head. Am I going way too geeky on this one? <laughs> he is, but I'm thinking, <laughs> what, what's a baby sheep called? A lamb, duh. <laughs> oh, <I see. laughs> oh, man. And But then the other thing is 
in Agile, uh, particularly in, in Kanban, one of the, the principles uh, is optimize the whole. Right, so you don't want to just measure how fast your team is efficiently starting new work. You also want to measure as they ship it, are, are we delivering positive or negative results? So you need a measure of quality in some regard. Sure. I'm actually working on a similar problem today. Is this a common corporate problem where you want to know, hey, is the is support is our support process in general creating happier or unhappier customers? Probably next week, I have several different things I'm going to try to see if there's a correlation. Because uh, the, the, what we're trying to do is, is get online a bunch of self-help assets. And we want to know, okay, so we can measure whether or not self-help is actually causing people to not have to go through the manual process and contact our um, support team. But how do we know, is it improving sentiment or not? So going to start looking for correlations between common pain signals like, do they leave the company? Do they reduce their usage? Don't want to have to resort to surveys. Surveys are the lowest form of quality data. Yeah, how did we get here? Can we go back? You asked. <laughs> you spoke. How do we measure yeah. whether or not we're accelerating the achievement of shippable quality? Well, so you, what need, are, you need a you need a metric around acceleration, you need a metric around quality that you are constantly looking at and distrusting to the point that's forcing you to improve the metric. Got it. I want to go a little deeper into some of that discussion, but I think we can just set it up with uh, a mailbag question from the uh, from the Slack channel. Okay. And then from there, um, I have an article came out recently I'd like to discuss with you. Okay. That's the it. plan here. So mailbag. It's been a while since we had a mailbag. So uh, there was a, a, a nice discussion around the role of the modern tester and then there was a discussion leading up to this that maybe we'll go back to, but I'll go ahead and read the, the, the mailbag question. Salty says, Just last week, I heard a developer complaining about how the company was not supporting them because it was removing, air quote, testing resource, so they were having to do more testing. <laughs> it seems like I'm not QA mindset and the testing is for load-paid grunts mindset can be very much alive still. So how do we go about changing that mindset? How do we show the developers that there is value to them in doing their own testing? So it reminded me of, I want to jump in here first. I have a story I'm sure I've mentioned a long, long time ago, but I worked on Windows CE from, win, from nine, no, about 2000 to 2004, 2005, uh, which was an embedded version of Windows a real embedded version, like super small. It could, you could boot an OS with a web server and, and, and camera drivers off of a 1.44 inch floppy, which some of our listeners can't even remember what those look like, but very small OS. So anyway, I worked on this very small OS. I helped transition and teach that team to write unit tests for their code. This is 
back in this time, uh, believe it or not, there are many, many teams. In fact, most teams at Microsoft did not even write unit tests. That was the tester's job. Uh, I helped. I got the team writing unit tests, and many developers came to me privately and asked. This is just unit tests. I said, hey, if we're writing unit tests, what is the test team going to do? And there's a worst part of this story. Someone who hadn't seen the light yet, obviously, came to me, a tester came to me and said, hey, if the developer is writing unit tests, what are we going to do? Which is a, a different, I could solve that problem a little bit differently. But <laughs> what we did at the time is just show value in all the other kinds of testing work and quality work we could do. The story shifted a little bit, but it's the same answer. My short answer for uh, the question is show value in all the other ways we can improve and accelerate quality in the product. And there's a laundry list of those, which we can go through in a little bit. But yep. I'll let you uh, uh, elaborate on your answer first. I think there's multiple answers to this question. No. There, there can are. be only one. No, I mean, the the. so I've helped, I think now, there's at least three teams that I've helped go through this this change. And I've heard every possible... I think I've heard every possible pushback from dev. The one sad thing about test is test sometimes by their words and definitely by their actions over and over and over again proves that we are load paid grunts. I didn't bring this up. I should have. I like I there's a whole bunch of other things that we could have discussed in the modern versus traditional oh, yeah. Disc yeah. discussion that was missed. But one of the things uh, that, that tests in the old school really added value to the org was by being the, organizational's, the organization's scapegoat. We were the ones that uh, I, I think of a slide deck I saw from Alan a while ago where tests were the, the people following the elephants in the parade. Yeah, I have this right. sequence of slides I've shown in a few different yeah. talks that show we are the champions of quality. I showed some superheroes. And uh, we are the gatekeepers. I showed like some video game. They're guarding the gate. I say, you know who else guards make sure that everything is cleaned up to the end? I show these guys shoveling crap in a parade of you know, just piles of... Horse, one and no, no organization would ever explicitly do this. But I've I've often just paid attention to how are things treated, what are the actions that support the words, and the reality is is that a lot of tests their role is is really to be the scapegoat for the organization. That's that's why Dev values test in this role. If, if something gets past me, I don't have to be accountable. I can blame test. That's, that's why one of the questions in the old school that, it, um, that was important for a lead was to say, to be able to smartly answer why wasn't this found before? Mm -hmm. Because that, that question comes up all the time. The accountability test enables the accountability for dev, for the quality of their code to go downstream. 
But who wouldn't want that? I could write, I could do whatever I want, and I can blame someone else. That's fantastic, right? Now, that's one of the challenges you're going to work against uh, in in this world. Now, what I did, and and Alan's story is a little bit different. What I did is I joined Dev. Right. right yeah. Right. I I joined Dev. I created a team that was a mix of Dev and Test. And quite honestly, I kicked ass because I understood how the system actually worked. I understood what our goals were, which was velocity and quality. And I understood that bugs slowed me down. Now, I, uh, I was very well noticed as doing things differently, very differently. But the results that I delivered um, was also very well noticed. I wrote an article, reminds me, uh, that I still point people to. It's 10 years old, but called The One That Got Away. It's up on Sticky Minds. Okay. About the same thing. Like, uh, it's a true story. I didn't even change the names because <laughs> nobody knows them. Did you claim that you changed the names? Uh, no. Oh. <laughs> but the story was about we released a product, customer had a bug. We complained about it. Our dev director got really pissed off and 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 yelled at my boss and I. Mm-hmm. I was again. I spent most of my career sort of the technical assistant, the test directors. Paraphrase the article. You can go read the damn thing, but uh, <laughs> it talks about this culture of blame and how to kind of get out of it and make sure it's a. It's about understanding. When you make mistakes, it's about learning and understanding. Obviously, you don't want to make bad ones that cost millions of dollars, but people have, and they've learned from them. There's plenty of anecdotes and stories around that. I have not, and maybe you have, Alan, I have not found, in terms of the problem of, hey, what is Tess going to do? Regardless of who comes to it, or, or as the Salty Gunner asked, you know, how do we influence dev on this front? I think it has to be through action and showing value and, and data where it matters. I haven't, that's what I was to say. I have not found well, a way of doing it via words and philosophizing. Absolutely not. Um, now, and so therein is a, is a catch-22, right? Because if you, if, if you need approval in order to try and you need to try in order to prove, um, you're in a loop. Now, what I've done in the past is I've gone dark. I, I as a manager, I, I would keep one or two resources in my back pocket, hide them from my schedules, and then I would. Did you just call them resources? Is that traditional test manager coming out there? Uh, perhaps. Or, or just tired Brent. <laughs> it's it, maybe a little both. <laughs> I had kick-ass employees. Um, resources in my mind, actually, uh, to do a feeble backtrack. I was thinking about um, capacity on, on my team, not necessarily actually people, but uh, uh, essentially available work hours. Ah, that's all right. But I would, I would not use them all up, and I would use them on, on sort of these um, proof projects. It's actually one of the ways that I helped uh, um, get agile. I did my part to get agile into the company. There was multiple different people Back in the day, I remember um, back when you were ri- driving QTech, you asked me to come sit on a panel for Agile. Mm-hmm. That was very and, early on in Microsoft. I don't even call it adoption. 
because Microsoft still hasn't adopted Agile wholeheartedly. There's a, it's a lot better than it was back in those days. But sure, there was oh, a, certainly, certainly, there was a lot of questions from the audience were were really concerned about risk and and you knew they, well. How do we prove this to management? I'm like, look. Any sort of change like this, humans by nature are, are resistant to change. We know how to make it work in this model. Yeah, it's not optimal, but we know how to make it work. Um, and the way you break through that is you have to carve off, and, and I always frame it as, tell you what, I'm going to carve off some of my re- uh, people, <laughs> and I'm going to do a pilot. I'll, I'll take two people, do a pilot for for three months, and then I'll report back. And I think you can go much, much smaller than that. It yeah. can be just a couple little things you do here and here and there. It doesn't have to be people carved off for three months. It can be part of a person for a few weeks just to start showing. Oh, what you did that? That's that's cool. We'll do more of that. So I I I don't want to scare anyone to thinking it has to be even that big of an investment. But I do think that you need to experiment and pilot and do things in little chunks, even if you're not given permission. I have, I have blogged around my experience, so I don't want to spend all of our podcast going through it again. Um, the, the most important thing that, that I did from a leadership point of view is I said, all right, tell you what, I'm going to run my own dev team and I'll do it with testers. And I've done this repeatedly. The last team I left, I helped, uh, I started, started off that process. The guy that's now running it, it was a former test manager and he's known for being one of the strongest engineering teams now. And, but he had to deal with six months of being put down even in that role because he was just a former test manager pretending to be dev. Yeah. And he, he doesn't hear that anymore at all. Anyway, is there anything else practical we could suggest on this one? Like, you can't use words. It's going to be context sensitive. Yeah, that, that, that's, the, that's the main point. You can't – and this is a common failure across a lot of changes. And we've – and without – actually specifically avoiding a deep dive into how to do organizational change, uh, which I'm sure we've talked about before as well, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> is uh, you just you need to show examples and people will recognize it. And you need to look for one thing, uh, uh, Michael Lopp on Rands and Repose blog, one thing he does and I do as well is what's called a trickle list. This is not stuff that goes on my Kanban board because it's not stuff that ever gets done but it's stuff I need to do consistently. Uh, one of the, th- and it can be things like meet with dev, dev directors and managers. It's like, I don't have specific meetings, but I make sure that like once or twice a week, I take some time to, to do a drive by or, or a Slack chat and check in for 10 or 15 minutes, mm-hmm. things I need to do continuously. And if I don't do for a while, I need to notice one of the things maybe on there is like show value from QA. Maybe there's some good things happening I haven't shared to show to show the value of like some tool, some process, some uh, data that that represents how we are accelerating the achievement of quality. If 
I am going to convince people of, or I, if I feel like I need to convince people of that value, I need to make sure I find things to share frequently. And if I'm not finding things to share, uh, make sure that I'm thinking about that as well. I would, I would just think rethinking the answer, piggybacking off of what you just said. There's another catch 22. How do you convince management to do this? Right. Whatever you do, if you're going to start with words, you're going to have to align it to something that the business is concerned with. Nowadays, uh, speed is something. Quality is another uh, thing. There's actually a list, the big seven uh, things for a business. And it'll be like growth, revenue, profit, uh, efficiency, blah, blah, blah. You can look it up. The critical thing, I think that, that were I in that role today, I would say, okay, I would talk to, to my executive and I'd say, look, this is what I'm going to do. You have all of these resources, and it only takes a few seconds to realize that it is no longer the best practice. If you don't trust me, there are, I mean, this is not like it was Microsoft 10 years ago where there was so many companies, uh, there were so few companies that, that had taken the risk and moved to Agile. Now it's all over. You don't have you don't have to do these arguments like I did back in the day. Yeah, but I don't know if as many of again I I don't spend so much time trying to convince those above me that what I'm doing is the right thing. I just do, and 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 later they go, oh yeah, of course you're doing the right thing. I think that's still better, but uh, I'm I'm trying to come up with what would be my best verbal argument on this one. And I, if, if I were in your role, I'd say, here's this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to take a portion of my resources, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to have them spend their time not on doing unit testing, but making it friction-free for dev to do their own unit testing. Yeah, and that's accelerating the achievement right. of shippable I'm going to, I'm going to make it easier and easier for dev to do that's that. Ex and that is exactly what I'd rather have my team do than write those tests themselves. The second thing I'm going to do is I'm going to do hands-on coaching, and I'm going to I'm going to boost up the the skill sets of yeah. your dev team. The and third thing I'm going to do is I'm going to boost up the development skills of your test team. So I'm going to convert your developers into specializing generalists. And I'm going to convert your testers and do specializing generalists. I'm going to come after it a different way. And I'm going to take point on leading the test side of the house as an engineering team. Let's start talking about what features my yeah. team works on. This is an example of giving people what they need versus what they want, which is another great leadership and change organization skill. If your manager were to come to you and say, okay, you need to... I need your team to give me test plans and write tests, write all the tests so the dev team can get you know, work on their features. I hear what you're saying. I understand that we need to have tests, make sure everything's done. I think I'm going to try something a little different, and I, and here's why it's going to work, and then go into your thing. Right. And then I mean, they get what they and they're going to go. Oh, and you go and you can go. Okay, let's just do it for a week. I'm going to have this just target group one one feature team is going to do it that way and let's just see how it goes if my way fails <laughs> if my way fails uh we'll, we'll go back and do it your way but i think it's going to be better in the long run you've hired me to be your uh manager for this qa team uh i i and to own quality air quote mm -hmm. uh i think this will work and of course all the listeners go well of course it'll work duh but but you but again pointy hair bosses 
Brent and I included, sometimes have to, uh, I think we're a little more open than most, but you yeah. know what I get? People, they're like, this is the way I've always done it. Let me show you a different way. Now, and really, when they say this is the way I've always done it, right, what's the value in that statement? It's, it's like, I know this way is of no risk. Right, so just realize that what you're rep- what you're representing is 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 some risk to them, and you do just got to be proactive in communicating. Yeah. Now that's when you talk with executives. When you talk with dev, you're going to have to do a, a different angle because again, they value you as the person they blame later. Mm-hmm. Right back to that codependency we've talked about. Right. Good discussion. I want to tie that into something, again, was shared on our Slack group and an article from uh, Panaya called the 2017 State of Functional Testing Report, uh, which I've read a couple times now, highlighted a few things. I just want to kind of bring it up in context of this traditional versus modern discussion. Brent's taking it from me? No, I, I did not bring my own copy, so I want to share so I'm not going to read the whole thing. It's a survey of, a, of people at 150 companies. I think largely IT shops versus uh, people shipping software to customers. But maybe actually maybe a combination based on, based on the answers. But I both don't think that makes a relevant difference. It, it maybe it doesn't. I don't know how they chose the companies. I thought the the insights were both telling and. Some good, some WTF, but uh, a few points I wanted to bring up, uh, some that are interesting and, and reflective of just testing as we've been talking about in general, and some that reflect on this modern versus traditional argument. So I, I scanned the, art, the article, and I do think uh, it's a fantastic piece it, of work. It is. It's one of those things you definitely need to read with a – uh, a critical eye and apply your own uh, don't take everything at face value, read and see what, and try and read the intent behind what was there. But I definitely think this, this document in an abstract is saying that the, the stuff that we've been talking about of what's coming next for test is in fact what's coming next for test. All right. Yeah. I, I'm going to go through some things I, I, I circled and just get your comment on them. It's going to be a little disjointed because it has like a section, then a recap, then a section, then a recap. Uh, and then I think it's a little overwritten. Like someone took a little bit White too papers much of this artistic sorts license. Are, yeah. Uh, so here's go the first thing I circled is test automation is coveted by all, but still too costly, even for regression testing, to implement without risk. Agreed. Coveted by all? Uh, I'll accept <laughs> except a, a few people. Okay. No, no. Uh, test automation, I mean, we have, as a whole in test, we haven't moved out of the world where, where um, test automation isn't the holy grail. Like, in large companies, like having an automated test suite and automated integration suite is the only way to scale. Yeah, no, I know. It's, it's the right, way but you, the way costly regression, I mean, what the problem is, is that there isn't a lot of intelligence around test selection. Like if uh, some of the comments on the Slack channel regarding the last episode around how can tests start getting into ML, test selection is absolutely an obvious uh, ML problem. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, right. and we should deep dive into that later. But just a sentence later in the same paragraph, something very cool. It is expected by 31% of participants that QA and developers' roles will eventually merge. Yeah. And that is, I love that because I think for everyone who, who sees that that's the path, there are, at this stage, anecdotally, even on Twitter, which people actually pay attention to testing, much less. So it's interesting that executives definitely see that that move happening. I don't think 31% of testers or developers or managers overall in the industry see that yet. No, but and, and 31 some will, some will dig in their heels and fight it. Oh no, we must have our separate discipline to make sure that we are the the checks and balances and gatekeepers for quality. Yeah, and it, really what they are doing is they're they're risk adverse. And going on here, again, these are a lot of things we're going to agree with. Some, and if, I'll get there'll be a few WTFs in there. But so thirty one percent, like I would I would say like ten years ago, that would probably have been like three percent. Yes, yes, for right. Sure. I definitely think that's on the rise. And how about this? And the I'll, question is, is when's the tipping point? I bet you it's soon. I bet you it's within the next three years that it I that think flips it is. over. I think, I think it is. Almost half, 47% of IT leaders surveyed, believe that their tests do not accurately reflect real-life production scenarios. Yep. And that number is down because I think uh, 10 years ago, people thought like 90%. Yeah, we have our int environment, which is an exact replication of production. And people are getting it. They go, oh, yeah, whatever we do internally, it doesn't match the real world. Uh, I had a conversation with a dev manager here, like, this is why the testing and production stuff we talk about is way more critical. When you ship, when you ship a product and you test it in a clean room environment, and then you realize when you shipped it to prod, it performs entirely different. And the main reason why is when you go to prod, it's exactly clean for a microsecond. Yes. Yes. <laughs> the I, code during the code's life is going to be living in a dirty, dirty, dirty world. If if you'd like us to elaborate and give you a hundred examples of the same sort of thing and what things fail in production that worked just fine up until then, we can do a whole episode just sharing stories. Yeah. Uh, moving on. In fact, when asked about their top test execution challenges, most testing leaders reported Tools that are unfriendly to non-technical testers. Yep. So I, I, I pushed my button because of the non-technical tester reference. But I guess they exist. Or they maybe not. Maybe they're labeled that, but they're not really. If you want to leverage manual labor, like technical people are expensive. Like the route that you're yep. talking about is like, look... I would rather have one high-paid tester on my team than 10 load-paid ones, <laughs> right? Well, these guys, are they're saying we want to do the opposite strategy. That's fine. Right. I want to fly through a few more quotes yep. for you. Um, this one is, I'm worried that the number's so low. Two out of three testing leaders surveyed stated that QA and testing initiatives are highly important to their organization's overall strategy. There's my WTF, like, uh, what? wouldn't it be more? What about that third that don't think it's highly important? They, I, I they thought it was extremely important. I didn't read that one. I, I. Um, That's in the testing is no longer an afterthought section. Oh, okay. Because I, I, I hear that stat with a cynical eye. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, wait, the testing leader has told you that his QA initiatives are important to the business? Call me shocked. Yeah. <laughs> 
Well, only, I read it as two thirds. Really? At, yeah. Also in the not surprising category, as I said, as could be expected, test automation is on everyone's wish list. As 47% of test leaders predict that continuous delivery and agile adoption will lead to test automation for the majority of tests. So, yeah. Yep. There's a section that says business and IT must converge. And this is part of, I think, acceleration. And, and I think this is a critical section. If, if it's a section that yep. I, I think they're talking about. This is about connecting business requirements, business understanding with the testing effort. Yes, that actually, my summation of this section is it is it's describing the need for modern testers to directly associate their work to business business level ex- outcomes. Yeah, this is a section that it's overwhelming that creating a better customer experience is critical for, for QA and testing. Yes. Enabling continuous delivery. This is a this is it is I, not our job to get to a hundred percent pass rate. No. It is our job to grow CSAT or customer satisfaction by six percent. Yeah, I wrote in this uh, my <laughs> yeah. notes on this page of the article is all around uh, accelerating. Yeah. Again, this is a section that says the tests that do not accurately reflect real-life production scenarios, and their aggression suite is hard to create and maintain. One of the comments that came back uh, in lower percentage was not enough developers for test automation, which, again, without having some context around that, may not know what they mean. So I'm not going to comment too deeply on that. It's more of an investment. And again, coming back to automation is too costly. I think, I think the not enough developers thing for test automation kind of reminds me of like sort of the the old school estet problem we had all the time. How do we take some rock star coders and seduce them into an estet role instead of a dev role? Mm-hmm. I, I, think, I think that will change over time because I, I, I do firmly think it's a mistake. And I think a couple things happen too. One is that, as we mentioned just a minute ago, that it gets easier and easier. So maybe we're already there. It's easy to write tests now. There are testing frameworks for uh, all over the place. It's some set of tests. And I think we'll begin to apply, as we mentioned before, uh, machine learning and some, and some computer-generated tests to help cover additional testing. Yeah. Uh, and not just based on the code, but based on uh, customer patterns and tying those all together. I think in the next 10 years, I think ML is going to do most of the testing, quite honestly. The last section is on the untapped potential on test management and automation. And overall, there's, again, there's a few WTF moments. There's a a revealing graph I wrote, yuck, shows that 54% among these people surveyed of their functional testing is done manually. What's the point they're trying to make? Like Uh, 54% doesn't surprise me, but... That seems that seems that, quite it, high to me. Has it gone down? Is it going? That, that's up? the thing. I, I I bet that still improved from where it was a few years ago. Where we're at now, the state of the union is not where I think it should be. I, I no, I agree. But I think the point of this argument is is essentially uh, testing is undergoing a worldwide transformation. Yes, yes, and it's clear. It's interesting because we're in some silos of. Even you with within a company of yep. of teams that are they get it and they're advanced and they're trying to even move even faster. But you know, from just from conversations on Twitter and reading articles on the internet, a lot of 
there are many, many more that just don't get it. So what I like in reading this article is that we're seeing that there are more people who actually get it than I kind of thought there were, which is good. We're reaching that tipping point where where the traditional tester, the traditional test model is going to start fading more rapidly. It is. And we've explained this, right? It's because the, the, the business landscape has changed. And um, where companies realize that they have all of these resources on testing that uh, aren't necessarily needed, sticking to the old model uh, is a Darwinistic risk. Meaning, yeah. right? Yeah. And then uh, I'm going to steal part of one paragraph, which reflects some of our discussion. Test cases based on business knowledge of the relevant cases to automate is the way forward. So, yeah, I love yeah. that. So there's some, uh, there's some pretty good insight in here. Normally, I hate these survey-based – this is confirmation bias, maybe. <laughs> because normally, I hate these survey-based articles. But this one, uh, there's a few, like, head nodders in here. It's – I'll put a link up to – you have to – it's one of those places, one of those reports where you give, have to give them their email address to get the report. I'll put a link up for it if you want to check it out yourself. Like I said, it's a little overwritten and a little bombastic, uh, but still, I think, an interesting read and worth uh, maybe use your throwaway email address. You all have one. If you don't, you got to have that throwaway. You just sign up for shit with. Right, right. <laughs> if you don't have one, then just go to you know Google and create another one. Yep. I recommend Google for that one so that – uh, Microsoft doesn't have to pay for everybody's crappy <laughs> advertisement-only email addresses. Uh, I don't give a <laughs> shit. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so, I think so. that I think the nutshell on this one is: yeah, this is an interesting doc. I, I would not hold it as you know the oh. the holy truth. Nothing. In fact, nothing you read or hear should you ever hold as the holy truth. But I I would take it seriously. And I think I like it. And again, this is confirmation bias flying through, and I recognize that. Is that double confirm? I'm confirming confirmation bias. What happens there? I don't, I don't know. know. I think I just exploded. Uh, You're running late for a meeting, my But it, <laughs> it proves to me that uh, the direction that we see and the direction that many of our listeners see is I get some validation in that because I think it's not just me and my little world. And in fact, I meet people who go, well, I'm in QA, but it's not like everyone else's QA. Then we have a discussion and go, oh, yeah, we're on the same page. Welcome to, wel- welcome to the world. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, And I'm seeing that more and more, and it's kind of fantastic. I, I see the dots connecting. I do think that there's a, a, a risk of confirmation bias. I wouldn't use this. I, would, I use this as, hey, this survey seems to see – a similar future as to what I see. And it does sort of um, um, see a similar timeline, I think. Yep. And the future's so bright, we got to wear shades. Yeah. Unless, you know, you can, you, you're holding on with white knuckles to 1990s. Yeah. And there are those <laughs> out there. Yep. Uh, no time to dig into it today, but I, I, I read another article recently of. For, it seems like every one of these I read, we just talked about, there's another two articles of people holding on tight to traditional testing. Yeah. It, it's I've been in both. 
I, I think the biggest problem is when, when people are having these polarized arguments, they really, from where they stand, they really can't see where the other person is coming from. Absolutely. I've and been and in we both. Did, we demonstrated and, that last week. And I, 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 I remember the first day uh, I was doing the Kanban, and I'm like, shipping things in small little packets, that seems so odd to me. But then the first day I shipped something and I brought the product on the floor, I'm like, oh, my God, all I have to do is spend 15 minutes and revert this. Whereas every other time in the old school world, it was weeks of trying to figure out what the hell the problem was. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good world. It is. All right. I'm going to book out of here. And I'm I'm not. And I'm not (laughs) Brent. I'm Alan. I'm Brent. See ya. Bye.